Presented here is an audio rebroadcast from a responsive witnessing produced through the Settlement Digital Occupation Project and is a conversation between Karen Recollet, Emily Johnson, Joseph M. Pierce, and Camille Georgeson Usher. You are invited to first watch the recording of the film performance, The Ways We Love and The Ways We Love Better, Monumental Movement Toward Being Future Beings by Emily Johnson, presented at Socrates Sculpture Park in New York on September 16, 2020, and which this audio broadcast responds to. Visit www.sttlmnt.org forward slash projects forward slash Emily dash Johnson to view the performance and learn more about the artists featured in this conversation and the work of settlement. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And I'd like to introduce Emily Johnson to um, step into the responsive witnessing portion of our program. Um, and I'll just um, let Emily take it from here. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Um, I'm just going to ask Camille and Karen and Joseph uh, um, to, to say hi. We can just start to chat and um, introduce yourselves as 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 as, as you want to uh, and when you want to. But thank you all for um, for witnessing thus far, yeah. I love that we're all waiting for whoever wants to go first. <laughs> um, I suppose I can start just by um, maybe introducing myself. Um, I'm Camille Georgeson Usher. I also go by Camille Usher. Uh, I am currently in Toronto, which was rainy this morning, kind of uh, maybe you got our rain that came to you later, uh, but it was very rainy, but now it's very sunny. So it's, it's very nice that it's turned around. So I'm excited to go outside later. Um, but I'm originally from Galliano Island, BC. Uh, and my family is a mix of many Coast Salish nations from around that territory. Um, and then my grandmother is from the Northwest Territories, particularly from Fort Good Hope, and then moved down uh, south and fell in love with a fisherman. Uh, <laughs> so that's how I came to be. Um, but yeah, I, I have uh, something that I, I wrote from what we watched, but I'm going to wait until the others um, introduce themselves. Hi, um, I'm really happy to be a witness and I'm honored to be sharing space with you. Um, my name is Karen Recollet and um, I am I'm a Cree person who I'm thinking through diaspora right now and thinking about how that feels in my body to talk about myself as a Cree diasporic human. Um, I am, I am living in Curtis, Ontario, which is about an hour away from Toronto. I am also um, just like holding space right now for that amazing offering. And uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to reciprocate and give back in terms of the kinds of offerings that I can make in response to your pretty fantastic work, Emily. <laughs> and I'm Joseph Pierce. Um, I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and 
Um, oh, I am currently living in Brooklyn, which is uh, the ancestral homeland of the Canarsie and Lenape people. Um, but I'm originally from South Texas. I grew up in Corpus Christi, uh, which is in South Texas. And um, I'm a writer and an academic. And um, I was grateful um, to have been at the performance um, when it happened. And I'm grateful to be able to, to be with everyone here um, today to talk about it. Um, I have no... Um agenda at all for this discussion. We, um, the, are there four of us? Yeah, these, the four of us <laughs> um, speak together in, um, in many different configurations around, um, around ideas and, 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 and desires um, for gathering, for better futures, for uh, uh, for uh, indigenous futures, for we t we talk about protocols sometimes. We talk against protocols sometimes. Um, and one thing that really, um, just one thing that struck me as I was watching this time for me, the 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 video was a bit jumpy, but um, but when Natane talks about standing against like standing against the city and sitting against this city and sleeping against the city and dreaming against the city like it really struck me in a different way this time listening to that and hearing hearing those words um and 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 particularly that sleeping against this city that we are always 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 in every cell and in every moment uh, against uh, colonialism, but how in in these ways where you know Joseph is watering the the plants at the end with his hands, um, and it, yeah, that just struck me in a new way today. Can I can I pick that up? Um, it was not chance that Emily asked me to hold the bucket of water that came from um, the East River. Um, and the water um, that we use to water the tobacco seedlings, the tobacco plant at the end um, has a long history too, right? Um, that has, is because the, the, that water is a living relative um, the water is so capacious and able to hold memory and medicine and um, care and reciprocity. Um, I, you know, when, when we hold, this is something that I just sort of thought about now, but like when we hold the water that holds our generational vibrations, interspecies, interstellar, Insulatory vibrations of light and matter, we produce care, so much care, because this is what our ancestors did to bring us into being, into relation, because they knew and their knowing has carried over across 
thresholds of movement and of memory. And that relation, that gesture of bringing us into being with is the future dream in ancestral time. And I think that that's what this work does for me is it brings into relation the futurity of our ancestors and of us being potential or becoming future ancestors in a way that really gets at the heart of what it means to be a good relative, what it means to be um, in relation in an ethical way and in a reciprocal way. Um, and that really struck me too this time, you know, how, how, how kind and generous the work is. Yeah, I also feel Joseph, like just in kind of picking up that, that um, moment, we talk a lot about um, rock matter and um, the, I never get this word right, vesicles? The rock word, the vesicles, right, vesicles. Okay. <laughs> The vesicles. And I just, in this conversation and in this work, I'm just actually, it's, it's kind of coming together for me now. It took me a while and I'm a little bit slow sometimes, but, you know, the vesicles are actually the water vessels. And I didn't know that. Um, so perhaps, you know, kind of thinking through in relationship with the work, you know, thinking through um, the obelisk. I've been reading a lot of um, N.K. Jemison's work lately in the fifth season, and I've been thinking about obelisks a lot and monuments. And as Emily, you and I have been speaking together about sort of the speculative architecture and, um, and thinking about the rising of obelisks, of monuments, the unearthing um, of them. So I'm also kind of thinking through sort of these alternative kind of landing practices that we do, um, thinking through the relation between Indigenous thinking and Indigenous thought and sort of like Black thinking and thought and radical traditions and wondering if as we fall into relation with each other, we are more ascending rather than falling and what are the shapes of those gatherings around this obelisk becomes sort of like a way of thinking about a gestures of a becomingness, uh, alternative forms of gathering around these ob obelisks as alternative um, architectures that perhaps may not be monuments, but maybe are sort of like monuments otherwise. Or what if, you know, our relationships ascended as the ways in thinking about um, those beings, those more than human relatives of, you know, thinking what's underneath, like the, the dinosaur bones, you know, the, the bone fragments of ancestors coming together and actually, you know, coming up again as future ancestor in that way. So that just kind of reminded me of those uh, vesicles that hold so much potential and possibility for alternative movement practices of being in relation I love that. And I, I love, Karen, that uh, you re-inspired me to read N.K. Jemison because I've just like, I've been going nonstop. Uh, read The City We Became. And like one thing that I was writing as I was watching this was just the idea of um, 
the body in relation to the city and how in the the book, like the body becomes the tentacles that, uh, you know, build the city's uh, ligaments. And, you know, you can see the arms when you're reading it, that the arms are the rivers. And as she raises her arms then the rivers raise too. Uh, and so I, I just really love that. And I'm also <laughs> uh, simultaneously rereading a lot of Octavia Butler and I'm really in this, um, kind of uh, city building, future city building um, mindset. And so every morning I, uh, I go out and I, I run around Toronto, <laughs> uh, jogging, not just like randomly running, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of my, my time that um, I reimagine the city as I'm moving my body around it. Um, and so I'll, I'll just read what I was writing while it was happening. Uh, it's not very long, but um, it's kind of around this imagining the future city that I think you were doing so beautifully, Emily. Okay, so this is what I wrote. <laughs> and I'm not going to edit myself, so uh, bear with me. Um, okay. You allowed me to imagine a future city years from now that has been struggling so hard to breathe that it finally sighs in relief. I see plants you put in the ground, the seeds you will plant next year, uh, the size of skyscrapers eating the buildings and eating the buildings whole with their green tentacles as the plants overgrow what we have built. I heard a humming from human and animal coexistence where the animals were finally louder than us again, where we could hear the trees speaking to us again. I felt a vibration that presented itself from the collective mobility of our bodies in whatever way we needed to move that rattled the rusted carcasses of the long expired cars. This city forces us to be slow with one another, to travel less quickly, and to allow ourselves to uh, allow breath back into the city's lungs. Uh, and then I, I was just kind of writing about uh, breathing and how uh, this is kind of where I stopped and I, <laughs> I got distracted by something else. Um, but just how our breath absorbs the tension of the cities and when uh, a city is having a hard time breathing. We too have a hard time breathing. And that's where I ended. So I'll stop there. Just just to, just from breath, um, you know, this, this particular performance offering was made in, in, the, in the midst of, of COVID here in New York City. And uh, Karen and I, started a writing practice at the at the at the start of the um, where we all had to shelter at home um, mostly because Karen was worried about me <laughs> living here <laughs> in New York City and um, but we started to, to zoom um, very regularly and started to write together um, in a process that is ongoing but um, so we were really talking a lot about breath um, and about the difficulty to breathe and the exchange of um, of breath with our more than human kin, particularly with trees. There's one tree that I can see outside my window that I built a very strong relationship with over the many months that I was mostly sitting here. Um, and, um, and, and at the moment of that performance, you know, we had these performers 
um, and dancers so amazing. We had one rehearsal time because we were trying to limit our time together and of course adhering to protocols of safety and, and such. And the first time that we gathered in, in our rehearsal, we were in a, in a circle all six feet apart wearing masks. And we just started to, we just started to like stretch together. And like, it was almost like the first deep breath I think I had taken in months, just being in a circle together with people again who had been aching to do that, who had been aching to like dance and be together. And there was that, there was that um, bit of, there was like a, a bit of relief somehow, I think I felt in my chest and, and at the, um, the, the, toward the end of, of that performance offering, when I'm saying the names, and there are those of us who are still dancing around the ziggurat as others have, have descended the ziggurat and joined the audience to go and plant, planting again, like as a, as a, as in an effort for how, how you so beautifully describe, like <laughs> reimagining the city through, through replanting and through rematriating and through rebreathing. But we are speaking of people who can no longer breathe. I'm saying names of people who, um, who can no longer breathe. And as I, spoke with the dancers in that last section that you don't see so much, but you hear me breathing and saying the names. We're, um, we're not conjuring those people, but we are conjuring the, we're conjuring joy of them and with them and for them. And we are trying to, in our exertion and deep breath, we're trying to, we're trying to extend and share that breath beyond this physical life that we have to their life that has been taken. All of those names are names of people who um, who have been taken, all of them um, in the ongoing genocide of missing and murdered indigenous women, trans and two-spirit. And so we, that when you, yeah, so breath, that's what came to mind just as you were talking about breath. The, the connection um, or like Karen and, and I have sort of laughed and, and had some, some joy over this word that um, I kind of have been toying with, which is the, the vesicle, which is like a bubble, a bubble of air, specifically a bubble of air that, it, that is lodged in a rock. And when, when a rock emerges from a molten to a solid state, the vesicles are the little tiny bubbles in the rock that create um, space. And so that, that process of, of creation is, is very literally the breath of life and, and the rocks all around us, particularly volcanic rocks, um, have this breath are imbued with this breath and um i think that there's a lot we can learn from that um that that there are pockets of air pockets of shelter pockets of breath that are there for us um and maybe to think along with some of the future, um, the futurity that we've been invoking. Um, the city tends to 
to hide breath tends to take your breath away. And yet we know from our stories that there are always pockets of breath because the rocks, when they were made, were made with pockets of breath always, you know? I think that that's, that's like a lesson, you know, that, that, we, that we can heed in these moments, right? That's, and I think that that's also like a survival strategy, right? It's interesting um, that we're, well, we're kind of focusing on this breath. And I was kind of thinking through um, the, the, the ways in which we find love and the way we, which we express love. The most intense felt love are, is, seems to be always the kind that takes our breath away. But <laughs> when you're, when, and I, and I don't think that's like, for, for me, that's more than an expression. It actually literally happens. So I'm thinking about maybe it's not taking our breath away. Maybe it's just that our breath is forming those vesicles, that our breath is actually breathing in those orbs or those spheres. And maybe it seems like it's, it's getting taken away, but it's really not. It's breathing how we were always meant to breathe. Um, and that to me makes it me feel like we were always meant to breathe with abandon. And we were always meant to be able to breathe through a burn because we had these sort of physical kind of gestures that, that helped us to do that. Um, and so, you know, I, I had written a few things too, and I, I I know that they might feel, but I think it's just a series of speculative provocations. <laughs> That's what I'll call them because they'll sound pretty <laughs> provocational and probably a bit speculative. Um, okay, so I'm thinking about the monument as like a sigil, as a landing glyph. Um, this is my gorgeous star being Gracie. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking about, um, the, the, the technologies of falling into relation, in relationship, Emily, with canoe, with kayak, with, um, with a, a vesicle of wood that um, suspends it as a space of possibility making and futurity making in the vesicle of the, of the ocean, of the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm listening to you, but I was sharing with Gracie at the same time. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> sharing with all of us. <laughs> and thinking through like, um, what are the falls as we land into place? And so thinking through they perhaps they are not they are not just falls, perhaps they're like these gradients of levels of atmospherics that we experience, um, just like the obelisk. Um, with the different layers. And we know this from like teachings, right? That indigenous teachings that there are these like layers in the atmospheric, both above and below. So, and tentacularly, there's all these like different multitudinous atmospherics um, that we experience before we come into this world in this physical form. And then after when we, um, when we, when we move on into other forms. So thinking about falling and the grammars of, of landing into relation 
and perhaps it sounds like at first I thought it sounded like this like pedestrian kind of processioning kind of marching almost but then I was thinking that, that these processions are not militaristic they are they sound like marching because sorry baby just a sex sweetheart they sound like marching because we are learning to breathe within a burn we step hard because we have to awaken these obelisks that are in the ground, in the dirt. We have to be in relation with all the subterranean beings, like the worm songs are probably water, right? These, they're probably these patterns. And it's no coincidence that these, mar these marches, that these processions for um, you know, abolition in this moment in time are these connecting devices to future. So um, we have to awaken these obelisks in the ground, in the dirt, these speculative architectures that are our return or our homing devices, which because of dislocation, because of 60s millennial scoops, um, we can't go home in the traditional sense of going home, especially when we live in diaspora, right? So marching is like picking up the sonics of our future being through our relationships with rock, with media relations. Maybe they're like side shuffles in moments. Um, they're like stomp dances. And these are the different forms of landing that militaristic marches, they'll never understand, right? They'll never connect that way. So maybe this is a space of like an undoing of breath or a a procession of breath of undoing sounds like being out of breath because as I mentioned all the most intense loves are exhausting <laughs> like we are breathless <laughs> when we are feeling that abandon right that not abandon in the the father's abandoning all of us but the abandon in <laughs> you know, in abandon, feeling expansive and breathing with abandon um, and abundance, you know. So I'm thinking about this catching our breath is really this vesicle breathing and, and how to breathe through a burn. Well, our histories, our ongoing legacies, um, our genealogies prepare us for this, how to breathe through a burn. We are living in post-apocalyptical times, right? We've experienced residential schools. We, you know, some of us have experiences, ex forced exiles, you know, so we, we think about this. Um, so maybe we think about with dirt and with soil that these obelisks are rising now to teach us this, to do breath like we do bioluminescence where we sess each other out in the darkness, where we can sleep there, we can dream there, we can push ourselves to the limits so that we can vesic vesicle breath again, you know, so that we can be in those spaces of refuge and invite others and call each other into those spaces with us. So as we are planting, we are also panting. <laughs> <laughs> um, we require these spaces to do that. Um, and I too, like, I want to touch, I want to feel skin. I want to, you know, like this moment is so difficult, um, but digital skins will have to do, but, and, you know, and I feel like um, there's just so much, there's so much, but I guess I'll stop.
I, uh, oh my gosh, I was writing so many things down when you were talking, Karen. I, I have a, a mess of notes. Uh, but one thing that I, I've been thinking a lot about recently, uh, and I've noticed in this uh, last year that I haven't noticed ever, is that I, I need help with breathing from other people. Uh, and I've noticed that it's very hard to do on my own now. Uh, and maybe pulling that a little bit from the city, but also from this idea of collective future building, of collective um, future cities, I suppose, where we do need to help each other breathe. But also how uh, I love this conversation about rocks because rocks symbolize so much for us, I think. They hold, you know, the history, they hold the future uh, because they are built of our atmosphere and they are built of the, the matter that uh, we can't see anymore. Um, they hold that matter. Um, and I know that um, in our conversations, we, we've all kind of moved around the idea of uh, the matter that we are connected by. So dark matter and um, chaos and, you know, different kinds of matter that connect all of us. And I wonder about how we are breathing that, that matter as well and how that further connects us through uh, this kind of invisible energy matter. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, I have so much, I have so much to say, but I think that I'm going to, I'm going to stop there and think more about, about rocks and breathing. The last scene I had just gotten my hands tattooed a few, a, a couple weeks before um, the performance. And so when Emily asked me to, to water the plants, the water was running over my fingers, through my fingers. And the tattoos that I had got are, are sort of old traditional Cherokee tattoos. And it's just three lines, but in the Cherokee way, we have an upper world, a middle world, and a lower world. And so watering the plants was actually trickling the water from all three of these worlds, from the upper to the middle to the lower to the roots of the plants. And so in a sense too, there's a worlding practice going on there. And um, I, I kind of said this at the beginning, like we could say this is chance, but it's obviously not chance. There's no way. I also feel like, I think that maybe what I'm coming back to about rocks is that I feel like um, rocks in the way that maybe I'm in relation to them is very intimate. Uh, and it's a very intimate, um, I suppose, sensual idea of how they're created and how we live in relation to them and how, um, I suppose, more in the, the broader sense of what we're talking about, like there is this sense of intimacy in this world building um, in caring for these plants, of watering plants. Uh, you have to be more intimate and you have to breathe what they're breathing uh, because you're there in relation with them. Um, so yeah, I think I'm thinking a lot about intimacy and how um, this kind of like act of slowness while we're being together, even if it's in the digital, 
um, it is revolutionary to me to be slow and to be able to breathe a little bit slower with plants or without plants or with rocks uh, or, you know, in Zoom. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I would like to think about that intimacy a little bit further. That, that there's a new way I'm just thinking just from this conversation about intimacy and breathing and endurance. And I know, I know Camille, you're, you are a runner, a long distance runner. And I, I have always really um, uh, also been an endurance based athlete and then dancer and, and, and I, I've never really questioned why, like why I love, why I, why I desire that, that feeling of, of, of that breathlessness, Karen, that, that, that like push and that like need to, need to, need, need to pull in so deeply and exhale so deeply, but this relationship with the vesicles and the breathing through the burn and that intimacy is, is having me think about that in a new way. You said something, Joseph, I think about like creating future pockets of air and like I'm thinking of that. That is so beautiful, creating future pockets of air. It's almost like futurity bundles for those future ancestors that are in our processions, are, are coming and have been in our present. And I, you know, I can offer something that I've been thinking about um, in this in this relation because we are talking about about rock, and I've been thinking a lot about um, you know adoption lately. And um, I, you know, because of my own experience of adoption, I was born um, in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, um, and then adopted out and traveled east. Um, and now, you know, pretty much raised in Southern Ontario. So I think about, um, you know, the generosity of the form of conversation, almost like whenever we can kind of get together with our beautiful witnesses, it feels like, it feels like um, it's a different kind of relational praxis that we're engaging in. And I think Camille, you really spoke beautifully about that being sort of like this slow kind of like stretched out thinking that we can carry a vesicle for, like we have this kind of like intimacy anyway. And I think we all kind of desire that and maybe even more so during COVID, you know, maybe intimacy, this is a time to really kind of think about intimacy and embrace intimacy in ways that perhaps other moments in time might not have made possible. So I think about like, um, I wonder if adoptees um, are drawn to sort of thinking about relations with rock and more than human kin, because um, we've had to construct this future imaginary of kin with what we had on hand. So when I was growing up, you know, I had rock, I had this like huge rock that I used to make all these stories. It was, it was like a big boat. It was like all these things. And I used to sit there with my rubber boots and just like practice rowing and things and pretend I was on these, all these big excursions. I think I was a pirate when I was a kid, or I wanted to be. <laughs> so I had, you know, I had this big rock, I had meteorite, I had moss, I had lichen, I had fire, I had star. And um, I had this sort of like sensual worlding where kin was memory and where memory was kin. And so it was super accentuated by like smell, by touch, by feel that for me to touch the digital skin of my ancestors 
could be completely possible because I had my rock there. I had my rock kin. Um, they were my kin. They were my sort of landing technology, despite my not having the language at that time to really say that that was. Um, so I think that, you know, this connection with rock, with stars, with rupture and rupture that is part of rock's formation, you know, I really think that it, it provides almost like a space for diasporic landings inherently in itself. So um, I'm really moved by the languaging and the grammars of the gesturing in this piece to kind of think through what does that kind of like pull look like? What does, what, what does it, what does it like it look like to breathe through a burn? What is that sort of inwardness and that pull? And it, it almost like, it almost made me feel like, um, that was the vesicle that that was the space of you know that that sort of um that breathlessness like you can actually see it and what it what it looks like and and i think about that in terms of folding like a blanket almost like a star blanket and what that what that what kind of space that creates as we fold into each other but as we fold into you know an atmospheric that maybe suspends time and suspends place and space into a something else into a potential or into an otherwise so our bodies are those vesicles and i i think that that language is really interesting the language that this piece presents in terms of and maybe language is probably not the right word but the grammars the choreographies the gestures um I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how, you know, that kind of speculative choreography creates these kinds of architectures that, you know, that we can be in relation with each other and really get behind each other and what we need. I, um, I always joke that Karen uh, uh, has has taught me to look up because I'm so I'm so ground like I'm so ground focused um, in in my work and in my being um, and for the first time Karen I think like as you were just describing movement and and speculative choreography and the shapes of like it made me and and in relation to what you were speaking of before of of um, waking up what is waking up the obelisk or, or pulling up or waking up in the ground via the stomp via the stomping like to me that that stomping that 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 we do is is partly yes that like that that wake up of below the underneath but it's also a pulling up so when i stomp down i actually think of the the pull up after the down and it's so it's a pull up and so now for the first time i'm also thinking rock based from ground up to rock based in the celestial like all the way like in that stomp, you actually pull all the way up. <laughs> um, the, oh my gosh, Karen, I'll, I'll cry. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think it's important for, for us to name our, our, our diasporic kinships and the ways, the ways um, in which we, we relate um to our to our ancestors and like you know um my father was also adopted my father was adopted by a white family and so my relationship with indigeneity is also um fractured ruptured and so in my case i'm i'm a generation removed from the event the rupture 
of adoption, but but nevertheless still feel its effects and and have an intimacy um, with those effects. Um, but one of the things that I have learned from this work and from our conversations and from, from learning Cherokee stories because I've had to learn them um, is about how we survive um, these ruptures. And now that I'm thinking about it in the original story of how Cherokees um, were given the gift of fire, all of the animals try to go get the fire, but none of them can. And the one who is able to get fire is the water spider. And the water spider is able to spin a basket, a vesicle, a little pocket. And the fire, the, the ember goes inside the basket. And that, that's how the, the water spider is able to walk back across the water and bring the fire to the people. So it's also like, that's how the sacred fire that burns in the middle of the stomp grounds was brought to Cherokee people, right? So like it, and a vesicle is also a womb, right? Like that's another etymological, you know, term for that. So like all of these things relate not just to um, sort of ancestral futurities, but also to grounding practices that are never just about grounding, but also about reaching across the breach of time and space toward the stars. That is so beautiful, Joseph. And as the video was playing, I was nervous, of course. So I was like pacing and walking around and I was just like gathering little things that like reminded me of different times that we've had together and different things. And one of them was behind a photo that I grabbed. So I didn't even, but, um, but nothing, this chance. And this, um, so I wrote this tiny little note to myself and to a future star being on Karen's prompt um, back in 2017 when we were doing a different project here. And we were, uh, we were, we were um, out, outdoors on Randall's Island here in the East River. And I wrote star, and it, I wrote star being, it's as if it's not the future, but it is the future at the same time. So it's always the way I call and love and know you. Um, and that's me trying to call a star being into my life. Um, and as you were talking to just now of the, I was think I keep I just keep thinking of the water moving over your fingers, and and then as you were talking about the 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 water spider and the and the basket and the fire, you know, and it makes me think about your and and as we were talking about digital skins and intimacy, you know that. And we've talked about this that this before, but it's just it's very um, strong in my mind right now. Is that that water of the East River that also has been part of so many ceremonies, but one of course that we uh, that we uh, intimately know, led by you know our dear friend and person that you are so intimate with, S. J. Norman, and that 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 the East River has been brought water and blood and ash of of across so much distance 
and what that water that was brought here means to bring here and to merge with this water. And that, then that was the water that went through those, those three worlds of your hands and into the ground. Like that is so, um, like that's, that's, that's everything. And it, like, it just makes me want to hold your hands. <laughs> it makes me want to caress your hands. <laughs> Um, the ceremonies are so important. Um, S.J. Norman is a, a you know a dear friend of ours and and collaborator, and we were working on a, a project called Knowledge of Wounds, and and that project was preceded by um, a work that he did called Psychotrix. And at the end of this work, um, S.J. had a, a vessel. Uh, a container with his blood that was offered to the to the East River, and then the next year we had a fire as part of Knowledge of Wounds, and the ashes from the fire were also offered to the East River. And so, the following year, or later that year, that was the water with the ash and the blood that was trickling over my fingers to water the plants that had been planted at the end of this, of this ceremony, which is what it was, um, the dance ceremony, you know? And um, this is multi-scalar, right? Like this, in a way, the, the continuities that are created when we, when we recognize them, when we recognize that this water is also the water that has had ash and blood and prayer um, that is how we recognize our ongoing relationships. That's how we recognize the continuity of our beings. That's how we resist erasure and oblivion um, because the land remembers and the water remembers and the stars remember, you know? Yeah. This is just like making me think so much um about when we first met Emily, uh, which is, uh, it's funny to think of now. Uh, I feel like my, my relationship with um, where I am from has, has changed. Uh, and when we, we, when we met, I had a lot of anxiety about going back home. Uh, we kind of talked about it uh, a lot then. Uh, just being back on the lands that I'm from and feeling very disconnected from the ocean because my, my family, they are ocean people, um, but not having that, um, not having been living around oceans for over a decade now, feeling really um, separated from that intimacy with oceans, even though I've been surrounded by oceans in many different ways, uh, whether that's through the water and the, the Great Lake that I'm next to. Um, but what this is making me think of, and I like, I too am really thinking about like the water that's going through your, your hands and through your, your fingers. Like, it's just such a beautiful, uh, image. And it's what it's making me think about is, uh, the way women in my family would map oceans, like not in the way that we imagine mapping to be, but how they would embody a map through 
places that they travel. So a map exists within the body through the currents of the ocean and how those currents connect all of us as peoples, whether that's, you know, where I'm from in Galliano or uh, in New Zealand or, you know, like how the currents connect all of us and how they also help to form rocks and, uh, you know, form who we are as people. So yeah, I'm thinking a lot about currents and many different forms that currents come in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I can stand at that river sea at the East River and I can feel, I can feel all the way connected isn't the right word. I always get in trouble because I use the wrong words. No, I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean <laughs> that's not the right word. Connect, connected isn't, but it's something it's like I can stand in that by the East River and be standing also at the Bering Sea that is the sea of my great, great, great grandmother and great, great grandmother and my great grandmother and where I, where I have also called to this star being, you know, um, no, I really love this uh, invitation to think slowly together. And, um, you know, I just, I just wanted to say how grateful I am for you. Really appreciate this moment. And I, I love the intimacy of this moment, even though it's so public, I, I still feel, I still feel you. <laughs> Um, Ginger, I'm just going to ask if we, um, I mean, we, we can keep talking all day long uh, together, um, um, but I'm wondering if you, if you want to, to um, if there are questions, if we want to talk with some, some folks, invite some other folks into the conversation via questions or how, how you're feeling from, from where you are. Yes, I'm. Um, gone through a myriad of emotions as I'm sure everybody has like hearing you all be so vulnerable and thank you so much like I've also been taking notes and just like peering up and laughing and <laughs> it's just so nice to be in that space um, during these times when we're all so isolated so thank you all for opening up especially opening up internationally with um, settler ancestors with people from Plymouth with people from across Europe as well. So thank you for being vulnerable in that way. And, um, and yes, if anybody has questions for um, the, the folks who just presented in the cohort with Emily Johnson, um, you can write them in the chat and um, um, I'll field them or Emily and anybody who sees one come up that might interest them to answer um, can go ahead and answer. And then Emily, um, if you want to invite anybody to chat who's who's in the Zoom, just um, let us know if you can just say it out loud. We're here to support you and however you need. Yeah, thank you. I know we have probably just a few more, a few more moments together, but we welcome um, if there are questions or thoughts and maybe a few and, and also no pressure if there aren't. Um, and maybe just as, as folks are maybe thinking about what they want to share, um, I'll share because I don't, I don't know if it came through so much on the video, but this is, um, this is the black flint corn seed that I'll just share uh, visually with you all. Um, so this was grown this year in my community garden um, for planting for next year. Um, yeah. And so these are the seeds that we, that um, 
were gifted to to folks at the at the performance for taking care of and for planting this coming spring here in a couple of weeks. So I see a question that's come in from Madeline Franklin, and it says, can anyone connect to their ancestors? And I'm assuming this means um, settler, settler ancestors versus um, indigenous identifying people. Um, if I'm wrong, you can write out in the chat, Madeline, but is that something that any of you would be interested in unpacking or untangling? I think Chinupa wants to take that one. Just kidding. Hi, Chinupa, saying hi. <laughs> so I see you just joined. <laughs> I'll take a whack at it. Hello, everybody. Sorry, I got double booked. But um, I'll take a whack at answering the question. Can anyone connect to their ancestors? Uh, I believe we are our ancestors, you know, and I think that there is something in um, the recognition of that, you know, and there's definitely been harm that we've done to each other. There's been um, beautiful, glorious things that we've done with one another and our, our, um, we're an extension of that, you know, I, 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 I can only talk from my own experience and, um, you know, Ginger and I have these two little boys and uh, we're both from completely different parts of the world and our children are now from both of those places you know um and there's knowledge that can be shared and um created out of that uh and i i think about even my own relationship to um kind of like historical trauma epigenetic trauma and and things that i carry on me and i'm like can i end that with me so that my children don't carry that, you know? Um, and so one of the, one of the ways I like to think about it is, this is how you make a good knife, you know, heat and pressure, heat and pressure. And my children are that fine honed edge. So it's, how do you, how do you acknowledge and recognize the, the traumas, um, either inflicted or received, um, and not exist in a, in a state of, of, um, uh, being, subject to that but to be to have agency in that as well like how do you celebrate um and and i don't know forgive or or grow from know from uh uh and and move that forward as a way to kind of like receive all of that and allow it to become something new and beautiful and for me it's that metaphor this is how you make a good knife is heat and pressure and my kids are the fine honed edge of that, you know, um, and a good knife, it's best used for sharing. <laughs> um, do any of you want to um, add on to that or expound upon that? Um, Emily, would you do you have anything you'd like to say around thoughts around being a present ancestor? I know that that thread is in your work as well. <laughs> um. I think I have anything to add to that. Thank you, Chinupa, for, for sharing um, to sharing your thoughts there. I think, you know, every I think so much of what we've been talking about is 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 about future ancestry and future ancestry now and future ancestry of the past and how we are um, living those multitudes every moment. And uh, yeah, and, and I know that I find my way through land and there are many many ways um you know i'm living 
on the land now that is not the land that is not my homeland. Um, and I've never lived on my homeland. Um, I grew up on Denina land in Alaska, but I live now where my mother grew up. Um, and I think that there's a very clear way in which I was um, called to be living here now. And I'm just trying to um, be a good relative while I am here. Um, yeah. I, I kind of would like to, to take up the question of, of ancestors for just a brief moment, because um, uh, as, as someone who has, has a relationship with dispossession and um, rupture, like, like Karen um, was describing earlier, right? Like as someone who has a relationship with adoption, forced adoption, removal, child separation, um, connecting to your ancestors is really difficult, really, really difficult and painful for um, the many, many thousands of indigenous people who were forcibly taken from our families. And, and um, this question, uh, it brings up a lot of feelings for me because, because we don't get, like that, that's not a question that I can ask myself in, in the same way. Does anyone get, and, and does anyone have the ability to reconnect with their ancestors? Ostensibly, yes, but for the vast majority of time, um, within the context of the United States, the mission of the United States has been to erase our connections with our ancestors. So can anyone reconnect with your ancestors? Like living, living as an indigenous person is, is to be in constant threat of, of, of disconnection to your ancestors. So just, just us being here doing our daily lives and being a good relative to, to the extent possible is reconnecting or connecting with our ancestors. So it's, it's um, I, I understand where this question is coming from, but it's, a, it's also like a really painful question. Um, just, I just wanna like acknowledge that um, because it's, that's not that simple. Thank you. I echo that completely. Thank you for, for articulating that. I think it's really important. Um, and I think also like when we think about in terms of conversations and intimacy and intimate conversations that are public facing as well, um, yes, we may look vulnerable, but we're also doing the work of relation building with ourselves, you know, because these are special kin to us. And whenever we can meet, we'll hold each other up. And I think that's important. <laughs> it's actually practices of radical love. It might look like kinship or it might look like vulnerability, but it's love. Yeah, I echo that. I um, I don't know. I feel like Emily and Karen and I have spoken quite a bit over the past year in our different ways. Uh, and so it kind of just feels like a continuation of a very deep a series of ideas that I still have ruminating, even from the first time that we we spoke. Um, 
But I, I also echo what was said about ancestors. And one thing that I, I have been thinking about a lot is, um, and Karen, you spoke about this a, a long time ago when we didn't know each other yet, but you were like in the audience and you asked somebody a question and I was like, oh my God, Karen is brilliant. Uh, and the way that it, that you phrased it, and I'm, I'm not going to say it accurately, but this is how I remember it was that our relationships with our ancestors of the past and of the future are a series of abstractions. And it's like through these abstractions that we get to know and become intimate with our ancestors, whether it's uh, rocks or whether it's trees or whether it's the stars, that it's a series of um, abstractions that we have to become okay with not knowing all the answers to. And that's the way that I react to uh, knowing who my ancestors are because it is a series of abstractions uh, that can never truly be formed in a tangible way uh, but it is in in those intangibilities that we come to know who they are and to know the histories and the futures of what we can create and so I, I like this question about <laughs> are we optimistic about the future um, I am like always optimistic about the future. I, I very much do imagine plants taking over cities uh, as something that is real in my mind. And I see it happening, uh, whether it's for my generation or, <laughs> you know, 10 generations from now, I imagine that plants will reclaim cities. Uh, and I am optimistic about that. And I am optimistic that um, people will learn that living in these abstractions is okay uh, because so many indigenous peoples have had to live in not knowing have had to live in uh, silences and um, the pain of abstraction uh, but also the beauty of abstraction and so that's that is what it makes me think about but it is a very hard question <laughs> like I <laughs> the fact that I respond to it through uh, abstraction uh, is I think maybe very telling of how how we respond to questions about ancestors. I love that. I love that thinking. I love that. I love that. And then getting back to my favorite word in the world, vesicles. <laughs> you know, I love that <laughs> vesicles might look like vulnerable spaces, but they they like you know, constantly, you're, you're so nice, you're so kind, you know what, I'm nice and kind, because I hold, I'm opening up this space, so that people like Camille, people like Emily, people like Joseph can come, I want them to know that I need them, right, so, you know, people see us as, oh, you're so nice, but it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm holding space for these really important people, these really important kinships, and that's, that's important to me. And I'm holding space for future ancestors that I may not know. I just wanted to point to the chat really quick. Javier has um, reflected about optimism. I'd love to ask for y'all's thoughts on solidarity between Native and Black folks in this moment. And I'm acknowledging there are so many folks who are already embody the intersections therein. I think that if I can, I. I think that this moment of um, of really, uh, you know, thinking about monuments and thinking about the choreographies around defacing monuments and being, you know, I really think that um, the work that you know 
from you know black radical thinkers, um, black futurists, um, N.K. Jemison, Octavia Butler, and Adrian Marie Brown, like um, really folks think organizing and thinking about mutual aid in ways that are in relationship with the ways in which our ancestors, you know, indigenous ancestors also organized and thought about mutual aid. I think that these vocabularies are coming together. I think that we're, we're actually learning about what does it mean to land and fall into a set of relationships, holding space, you know, holding a critique for the ways in which settler colonialism has really ruptured us and our relations. Um, you know, so thinking through, you know, um, black relationships to land are not a new thing, you know, <laughs> um, especially in places like to Toronto where I teach, you know, thinking through, there's so many people that think that black people are recent into Toronto and that's not true. You know, like thinking through the kinds and shapes of gatherings that we have and that we hold space for. I think that the work that Emily is doing as well in terms of really thinking radically and differently about processioning. What are the vocabularies of the processions? What are the movements? What are the gestures? What is the, the pull? What is the invitation? What is the opening? What are the vesicles? Like I think that these choreographies provide a different grammars and a different way of coming together that um, that offer alternative strategies and practices for relational work that needs to happen and that is happening. That's that's would be my response. So so paying attention to you know the processes of landing, I think is important. And also not needing to claim or not needing to be extractive about each other's experiences and each other's stories. Like, how do we connect to ancestors? You know, how do we do these types of things? We have to know that these are very intimate stories that we can't claim as our own. You know, as an Indigenous person, I can't claim, I wouldn't want to claim in the sense of relational praxis another person's story. So, um, you know, being non-extractive, radically citing each other radically citing black futurist thinkers, black, you know, black geographers, black space makers, um, and the same for indigenous folks, radically citing the knowledge keepers, you know, and, uh, and holding space for that, I think is another practice that we need to be more engaged in. I feel like this, there's, um, there's a sort of Cherokee angle here that, that makes me sort of like, uniquely qualified to talk about both appropriation of indigeneity and some of the like difficult histories of indigenous and black relations. Um, and so, you know, just this week, this past week, um, the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court uh, came out with a ruling that um, uh, erased or that that struck the words Cherokee by blood, the by blood part from the Cherokee constitution, which has served for more than 150 years to marginalize um, black Cherokees um, because the Cherokee nation was one of the five civilized tribes that was a slave holding tribe in the 19th century. Um, and that meant that there were um, enslaved black African people who when they were freed 
were guaranteed all the rights and privileges of Cherokee citizens because they had been enslaved by Cherokee people. So this is ongoing. This happened this week that the Cherokee constitution has been used to marginalize freedmen and freedmen descendants from participating fully in electoral politics, um, in this case, specifically to be a, a representative on the tribal council. Um, and while some people are arguing that only the people can amend the constitution of Cherokee Nation and the Supreme Court of Cherokee Nation doesn't have the jurisdiction to, to strike language from the constitution, um, on the other hand, you have a treaty that Cherokee Nation signed with the United States government um, in 1866, which guarantees freedmen all the rights and privileges of um, Cherokees by blood. So this is really complicated, but, but I do think that um, with this ruling and hopefully with the subsequent um, uh, constitutional amendment that um, confirms this, the striking of this language or a revision of this language, then, then Cherokee Nation will be working towards a better future and a better relationship rather than maintaining some of the racist policies that it has enacted as a nation. And it's really important for us to name this. It's important for me as a Cherokee person, person a non-Freedman descendant Cherokee person to name this as part of the history of my relationship um, with black colleagues, with black kin, with, with people who are just as Cherokee as me, but who are consistently marginalized from um, public participation in Cherokee politics. I just wanted to echo a little bit of that. Um, my professional life in our in my job, we just hosted a, a conversation between Afro-Indigenous folks in Canada, mostly from the Halifax region, which there, there is a lot of community interspersal between Black and Indigenous peoples together. Uh, but in this conversation, what um, some of our community members were saying is that it's very hard to walk that line between both and they're often asked to be one or the other. Uh, and I think that we're in a time where we really um, are needing to complicate that narrative and we're really needing to rethink it. And you know, like you were saying, Karen, uh, we need to be citing one another in our work because it, it often overlaps and it often comes together in so many uh, beautiful, complex, and tricky ways. And so that's something that I think about through my academic work, uh, but also in the way, uh, you know, I, I write about the city is like, it's never just an Indigenous experience running around a city, uh, living in a city, building community in a city, uh, especially a city like Toronto that um, has been built on so many different forms of knowledge. And so I think it's a very complicated <laughs> question again <laughs> uh, and there is no one answer like we we need to think about it differently and we need to think about the term indigeneity differently because it's very exclu uh, exclusive uh, it excludes a lot of people um, especially in the Canadian context it excludes a lot of people um, so yeah I'm not going to get too far into that but that's just kind of what <laughs> I was thinking about I think about this um, speculative architecture that um, Karen has mentioned a few times and I, in relation to this dance being future being, which is an attempt to be in, 
be in these be in that future where the city is plants. Um, uh, there's something that I'm trying to think through around these speculative architectures, like an architecture of the overflow and overflow of resonance and overflow of um, what can what can occur from a performed gathering moment forward into realizing these better futures um, structurally. Like, like what is what is the con what is the conceptual structure? What is the physical structure? What is what is that architecture forward? And I think about the monuments show at at, at the at Sakuri Sculpture Park and 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 this this monument built by Jeffrey Gibson that's in relation to um, to 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 land 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 building um, uh, from Choctaw Nation and other nations and. And I think about indigenous and black conceived structures, speculative structures, again, conceptual and also physical, also systems, also all like that, that, that these structures and the ways in which we've, we've that these structures are, are toward, um, are toward these futures, are toward this justice centered future, toward this sovereign future, toward this liberated future. Um, And building those, building the relationships, building those constellatory kinships, constellatory relations that that honor that that un, that honor relationship first. Maybe is what I'm trying to think about that that honor um, the complexities, the rupture, the honor that the the love that that. Like it's like I don't know. For me, it's like an ongoing, um, ongoing purpose, and 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 also, also an ongoing invitation. And I mean, even invitation to myself. How do I do that? How do I be in better conciliatory relation? How do I? How? How? And how? Um, I'd like to um, invite anybody who wants to um, kind of feel like they have anything to say to um, a primarily, I mean, many of the people on here are peers, but the primary audience for this Q&A has been um, our international, like, kind of responsive relationship to the Plymouth UK community. And um, I would like to invite a moment of um, a moment of availability for you guys to speak your truth to um, to the people who come from and call the United Kingdom home. And it can be in a loving and positive way. But is there anything that you all feel like? you would like to implore an action, a call to action, even like a, a call to um, physical or hearts or spirit-shaped action for the community who's witnessing this as we close it out. Um, you don't have to, but I, I think that, um, I'm just trying to think of a positive way, positive way to end this that empowers 
you all as participants in this project and also who have been witnessing it being settler ancestors to create an intersection. Um, and I think we can keep it open for a, a little bit longer and then we'll, we'll let you all with your gracious time go about your day. I suppose one thing that this makes me think of is um, I think a lot about archives and because uh, I work very closely with museums in my professional life um, and just how the process of colonialism has been uh, symbolized through museums and how museums have collected so much of our stuff, of our objects, of our uh, histories, of our knowledge. Um, and uh, I think a lot about a performance piece that Peter Morin did uh, a few years ago where he tried to um, do ceremony in one of these spaces and um, do ceremony for uh, a family that had died uh, and he wasn't allowed to. So he had to do a silent ceremony because um, he they weren't allowed to make any sound. Uh, and so one thing that uh, I may be called to action is rethinking archives in the United Kingdom and allowing people to engage with archives in more sustainable ways um, to bring some of those impressions back to our communities. That's my call to action. I was on a, I was on a panel at the, with the Tate. Uh, I think that the Peter's performance was at the Tate and uh, for that panel, speaking about archives, um, I asked, it was a panel about like, what is a queer museum? And it, it was really well done. And I really appreciated the, the, the care with which the curators and the participants were able to do it. But for my, for my portion, um, I asked the, the archivists at the Tate, what type of, what indigenous art did they have? Um, and in their public facing search platform, they only had one piece of art um, by an indigenous artist. And um, after doing some digging, there was uh, there were a couple Aboriginal Australian artists and there were a couple um, sort of other, you know, categorized as indigenous people. So um, I wrote a note that said, if the Tate bought this, it would be the first, and then I crossed out the first and put fifth question mark piece of Native American art in the collection. And I think that this gets at the, the issue of not just representation, but value and how we value what um, archives and knowledges are present in institutions in repositories of memory and of institutions. Um, because it was our bodies, our literal bodies that were exhibited in European museums. Um, and it was our bones, the bones of our ancestors that were exhibited in museums and that continue to be held in museums. So when we talk about this, it's not like distant memory. It's an ongoing, urgent, present, now issue um, where our where the bones of our relatives are are held, where the sacred um, objects that are not just objects are held, um, and do we have access to them? Are they being stifled? Are they being killed behind glass? Or are they being enlivened through practice and through ceremony? Um, that's, that's something 
you know, that's my my two cents about about archives, um, and and just sort of, I do feel like the conversation took like a tiny bit of a turn when, when we started to ask about ancestors, and I would just suggest for any of the um, the members of of the audience to just Google a couple things. Um, the sixty scoop is one term. Um, the stolen generation is another, um, and the Indian Child Welfare Act um, are all three. Um, similar issues of forced child separation uh, that was part of colonial um, architecture. And it's not also the distant past. This happened in, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s. And, and you know, indigenous children continue to be widely overrepresented in, in welfare, child welfare systems and um, foster care. So this is an ongoing uh, issue. I think there are also ways that you can find to be in solidarity with uh, Indigenous-led decolonization efforts here and everywhere in the museums that we're speaking of, in the cultural institutions around, around the world, um, in higher ed institutions, in performing arts organizations, <laughs> um, uh, become good accomplices. Um, that takes a lot of learning and takes a lot of unlearning. Um, and follow the brilliant work of Joseph M. Pierce and Karen Recolet and Camille Usher and others and all of the other artists in, in settlement um, uh, and as part of settlement, uh, because this is where this, this, this is what we are doing all the time, um, making those better futures now. Um, and so I think I think you, from my perspective, um, you're welcome to help us. Yeah. <laughs>